Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now bathing in the living water. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the season finale of The Mandalorian and giving our overall thoughts for the entire season. Plus, we got a review for Renfield, and we're talking AEW Dynamite. All right, before we move on, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review, and if you DM us a screenshot, we will not only read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. We got a couple of five-star reviews over on Apple Podcasts to read this week. Uh, The first one comes from The Real Mr. Mosby. It says, fellow nerd, amazing humor and Damon's laugh brings me joy. I think that's the first I've ever heard that, but I appreciate it. I'm glad someone enjoys my cackle. Uh, The second one comes from Deadhead Dan 10, and it reads a Saturday morning tradition. But the young kid Christian is still on my shit list for putting Akbar on his all time top seven or whatever. Keep him in line, other dude who's my age. Christian, do, do you have a response? Well, I got a response to both. First, no one likes my laughter, and then I get called out for my taste in Star Wars. I see how it is, listeners. I see how it is. Uh-huh. And rightfully so, by the way. Hey, man, I mean, you made your own grave. Um, I think it's a good reason, you know, why we maybe should do another Star Wars month. You know, maybe Christian could get some redemption this time around. Or maybe I can further explain the uh-huh. importance of the Mon Calamari get, get the and Admiral Akbar's role There's, in the rebellion. There is okay. no way you're sticking by that. <laughs> Wasn't that like three years ago? Right? Something like that. Two or three years ago? <laughs> the amount of like new characters they've introduced and uh-huh. you know, you just maturing as a man, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Young kid Christian. Uh, I think at this point, you have to see the error of your ways. If anything, it's got to be a stamp of defiance now. Oh, you whatever. know, it's. <laughs> I'll believe it's a true stamp of defiance if you get yourself a, a, maybe a tattoo. Like, I need to see an Akbar tattoo. That will be my back piece. Uh, there the you one. go. There you there go. go. Lower back, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to have an arrow pointing down, and it has to say it's a trap. <laughs> But anyway, uh, we thank you guys for the reviews. Uh, you know what? We'll automatically enter you in our giveaway this week for the uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1 Blu-ray. Uh, and if you're interested, go ahead and DM us your addresses and we'll send you our amazing Nerd Show swag pack. But speaking of the giveaway. Incoming giveaway alert. All right, before we move on, the good people over at Paramount has sent us five copies of the first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds on Blu-ray to give away to our loyal listeners. All you have to do for a chance to win is either subscribe over on our Patreon at Patreon slash Amazing Nerd Show on any tier level that you'd like, or you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and DM us a screenshot when you're done. And then at the end of April, we'll randomly select five lucky winners. 
I mean, you can't really get better than that. I mean, not only do you get a chance to win the first season of an awesome new show, but you also get the satisfaction of helping support the podcast. Well, season one of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is now on Blu-ray, DVD and limited edition Blu-ray Steelbook. Experience every episode like never before with over 100 minutes of special features, including exclusive cast and crew interviews, a gag reel, deleted scenes, and more. Own the Emmy-nominated first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds from CBS and Paramount Home Entertainment today. Limited edition 4K Ultra HD Steelbook available for pre-order now. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first, we've got some fantastic forecasting news. It looks like the MCU might have finally found their Reed Richards. It was rumored not too long ago that Adam Driver was up for a major role in Fantastic Four. Well, a new report from industry insider Daniel Richmond suggests that Driver may be finalizing a deal to play Reed Richards as he's their current frontrunner. The film is still slated for a February 14th, 2025 release. Now, when this rumor of like Adam Driver joining the film came out a couple of months ago, there was a lot of speculation on what character he was going to play. And I think mm -hmm. we were both just kind of assuming he was going to be Dr. Doom at the time. <laughs> and ever since then, I can't like, I don't know, I can't shake that. Like, I, I just feel like he would make a better Dr. Doom. I mean, I could see him fitting as Reed Richards, you know, because Richards is this kind of quirky, you know, strange guy. And Adam Driver definitely fits that mold, but mm -hmm. I don't know, man. It just feels like kind of a missed opportunity not to have him as your Doom. I, you never know. They might have someone even bigger, you know, in mind to play Doom. Well, I don't so. even need it to be anyone bigger, per se, like name-wise. I just, I don't know. I just think I like the idea of an actor like Driver or, you know, perhaps uh, like a Cillian Murphy, like playing Doom. Someone who's just a little like off kilter and like eccentric. And again, this could just be, you know, a rumor and not actually true. I mean, there's been tons of other actors that have been thrown into the hat. We like it was just last month that they were talking about Dev Patel and possibly like even Diego Luna for the role of Reed Richards. So, I mean, it's still we don't know until we know. Right. Oh, no. I mean, absolutely. And I'm not saying that Driver won't be a great Reed Richards. Um, I could actually see Patel play. Dr. Doom, honestly. Part of me still hung up on uh, Ben or Penn Bagsley, uh, the guy from You, because that was like an early, early prediction. Was that or for rumor Doom or that. was that for Richards, though? For Richards. Okay. Okay. And I don't know his work whatsoever. So, mm -hmm. you know, I got to trust you on that. Well, moving on, we've got more MCU casting news, uh, this time for WandaVision spinoff, Agatha, Coven of Chaos. The casted star, Patty Lupon, during an interview on the morning talk show, The View, gave details on exactly who she was playing in Agatha, Coven of Chaos. Lupin said that she will be portraying Lilia Calderu, who is a Marvel character that was introduced in the 1970s in Marvel premiere number 12, and was the keeper of the Book of Cagliostro. And while spilling those beans, she also made note of some of her co-stars being a part of the coven along with her, confirming that Catherine Hans, Agatha, will be joined by Aubrey Plaza, Sashir Samada, and Ali An playing witches as well, along with a character she called The Familiar being played by Joe Locke, who, if you remember, has been heavily rumored to be playing Wanda's son, Billy. Could the coven have potentially ensnared Billy as one of their, you know, familiars? Or is this an entirely different character 
character altogether. The series is believed to be released in the later half of 2024 as it was delayed with all the recent shifts in the MCU. Dear Lord, she really just laid it all out there. Fine. Yeah, I was like, what? I know it's like a very like talkative show. Like they like yeah, it's very conversational. What but talk I, show isn't. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure she signed an NDA. Foggy's gonna uh -huh. send out his snipers. Like <laughs> she's definitely she definitely came back to a talking to. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's definitely one season for her, and that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> if she's not recast already. I mean, she was even giving like full details. Like she's a 450 year old Sicilian witch that does divination. Like I was like, why are you giving all this out? That's a big <laughs> Marvel no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Patty must be in her seventies and I, you know, and from experience dealing with older relatives, like once you hit 70, you just stop giving a shit. So I'm sure <laughs> it's just a case of that. Uh -huh. I can't wait for my 70s, by the way. Hopefully we still have the podcast by then. <laughs> we also got a rumor this week that Daisy Ridley isn't the only sequel trilogy star returning to Star Wars. According to industry insiders Jeff Snyder and John Rocca, John Boyega will return to the role of Finn alongside Daisy Ridley in the film they just announced at Star Wars Celebration. However, in their conversation, Snyder stated that Boyega is kind of hesitant about returning to the role. After all, Boyega has been very vocal about his time during the sequel trilogy and how things went down, so there's no surprise there. All right, well, moving on, looks like Robocop could be back online with a possible TV series in the works. Deadline claims Amazon is chomping at the bit to pick up a Robocop series after their acquisition of MGM. Deadline claims Robocop is among several properties Amazon is looking to revitalize from properties like Stargate to Legally Blonde. Robocop itself is being looked at for both films and TV series, with a series most likely to come out first. Robocop has been seeming to pick up some steam lately, especially with a new game on the horizon. I love the original Robocop. I think it might have been one of the first like rated R films my parents allowed me to watch, like unknowingly allowed me to watch. Like oh, okay. I just like picked it out, you know, at Blockbuster and brought it home. And they were totally cool with it because it was like, oh, it's Robocop, not knowing that it was written yeah. R. <laughs> I mean, the, the fucking opening scene, Murphy getting massacred was enough to like, you know, fuck me up for a couple weeks as a, a nine year old. So, um, I, yeah, I love me some Robocop. So I'm all for this series. I mean, bring back Peter Weller. Why not? And like, don't fuck around with it. Like, put him in the original like suit. Like, that's part of the charm. <laughs> I don't want to see some fucking... Because they did that with the remake, right? With uh, Sam Jackson. They, like, like redid the suit and the look and everything like that. Mm, like, he needs yeah. to have the classic look. Like, I think that's part of the charm. Like, come on. Like, you know, that well, really, like, scratches that nostalgia itch. Yeah. But, I mean, what we've been getting out of stuff from Amazon lately, like, I mean, Lord of the Rings, The Boys, even Paper Girls, uh, they've, you know, shown that they've, they're really willing to you know give it their all with these types of series so i'm like i'm excited for you know amazon to pick up something like robocop because i feel like they'd be willing to really blow shit up and really fucking make it as violent and as crazy as the original film. i agree 100 but know your target audience like know who's watching these uh -huh. you know who's excited about this is people who are fans of the original so we don't need this like modern looking like robocop like put him the big gray clunky like you know suit and yes. just, you know, be done with it. Like, that's all we need, you know, that and a whole <laughs> lot of violence. And we're good. Well, lastly, we got some casting news for the upcoming It prequel series, Welcome to Deary. Variety reported this week on two new additions to the upcoming Welcome to Deary series that will play as a prequel to the Stephen King It films. 
The cast now includes Madeline Stowe from the Revenge TV series and Steven Ryder, who has been in the Netflix Marvel shows like Daredevil and Luke Cage as he played D.A. Blake Tower. The two stars' roles haven't been disclosed just yet, but the series is believed to be coming out next year. So I'm definitely intrigued by the series or the idea behind the series. But at the same time, I'm definitely disappointed that Bill Skarsgård isn't going to be back as uh, Pennywise. I mean, whoever they choose for the role definitely has some giant clown shoes to fill. I mean, not only do you have to live up to what Skarsgård did, but also, I mean, fucking Tim Curry. <laughs> so good luck. Um, but both like portrayals are pretty much iconic at this point. Yeah, I can't even think of someone picking up the role at the moment, but it's... I mean, it's going to have to happen. I mean, that being said, I guess Skarsgård was able to pull it off. So um, there was a rumor going around for a while that, you know, the series could kind of play as a crossroads for other Stephen King like material. Very similar to the way that like Castle Rock did. Um, but who knows if there's any truth to that. All right. So this past week, we got a trailer for the upcoming Insidious sequel, Insidious The Red Door. I'm seeing crazy stuff. I think these drawings could be clues from my past. There's so much you don't know. And I was too scared to tell you the truth. Our family has been keeping secrets. They suppressed our memories, but I can still feel something following us. There's only one way to find out. So it looks like James Wan's gotten the band back together. I mean, this film stars much of the original cast. Uh, this time, uh, Patrick Wilson is actually sitting in the director's chair. And I believe this is uh, his directorial debut. Apparently, Wilson's character and their son Dalton has been made to forget the events of the first two films, which I actually I don't remember does that happen in the second movie? Like, I know, like, when Wilson was a child, they made him forget everything that happened. But I don't remember if that was the case in the second movie, if they did that with, you know, him and his son once again. Yeah, I don't remember. The way that they play it in the trailer makes it seem like that's what how it came to a conclusion. But I don't remember that being a sequence. But I'll have to probably rewatch yeah, it. Yeah, I, I mean, I've revisited the first film quite a few times since it came out. But I, I think I've only mm -hmm. seen the second film like once or twice, honestly. Um, I enjoyed both movies, though. Uh, the third one is a pile of dog shit, though, so stay away from that. <laughs> and I totally forgot there was a fourth movie, and I apparently own it. <laughs> but it's still, like, wrapped. It's brand new, you know, a brand new Blu-ray just sitting there on my shelf. So I'll have to maybe watch it over the weekend. Uh, but you've seen the it, right? The third one's watchable, and the fourth one isn't. Uh, let me put oh, it that wow. way. I definitely did not like the third <laughs> one, so that's not really <laughs> selling me on the fourth movie. Uh, but I couldn't. Stand it looks it. like this movie's kind of like going back to basics, like well, we're with the family mm -hmm. again. Because the other two films was more the um, the medium story, you know, and her like you know crew. So I'm glad to get back to like the original core cast mm -hmm. um overall i thought this looked pretty damn good though i'm not gonna lie like it definitely felt like the first two films um you know where the third movie like right off the bat just felt like something completely different like judging from the trailer like wilson was really able to capture like juan's like sensibilities as an artist and his you know just like stylistically like his flair and you would hope so after being in how many productions of Wands, <laughs> like all of them, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, he's Patrick Wilson is definitely like Wads muse at this point. So, yes. though, because uh, Patrick Wilson is behind the chair, I feel like the film is going to heavily focus on the sun. And I do hope like, you know, the acting's all there for that, because I mean, it even the trailer feels like it's 75 percent 
you know, the son at college, you know, kind of getting some type of, you know, version of the further coming through his arts that he's doing in school. And that's kind of awakening See, him. I didn't, I didn't feel that way because it definitely felt like Wilson was also being haunted by the further still. Mm. Um, so I'm guessing something happens where they both can, you know, go through this together. Um, but I, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I love the fact that they brought back the Tiny Tim song. And I hope they go a similar route with uh -huh. the score, um, which I think is a huge reason why the first two films work so well. Like those big string sections and everything. Like I actually have the score downloaded on my phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm a fan. Um, oh, yeah, that's how you go to sleep at night. Oh, absolutely not. The, the but, insidious yeah. score. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do. I have a whole playlist of like horror, you know, film scores and stuff like that. And I do play them maybe a little too much. So. Unfortunately, the Tiny Tim song was a like a big scene in SpongeBob when I was growing up. Oh. So that, that's all I think of every time. <laughs> See, I, I was in my mid twenties when SpongeBob uh -huh. came out. I'm pretty sure. So I'm a, a totally different generation. So uh -huh. so SpongeBob is definitely something that I'm not thinking about when I hear that you know song. So the one concern I have is uh, Lee Winnell isn't back. You know, as, as the writer, um, he's getting credit because you know these are characters that he created. But it's actually uh, Scott Teams who did mm. the uh, script this time around. And uh, Scott Teams is known for Halloween Kills and Firestarter, which are two films that I'm not a huge fan of. And this is Firestarter, the remake from a couple years back. Um, yes. Both not very good movies. Now, he was also a writer on Narcos, which is a highly acclaimed series. So who knows? I mean, there's always a lot of things that come to play, you know, for screenwriters. Hmm. You know, a lot of times your script doesn't necessarily make it onto the screen. You know, the script, the way you envision it, doesn't necessarily make it onto the screen. So who knows? It'll be the comeback story of the century. Well, here's you know? to hoping. Um, this comes out when, Christian? Uh, July 7th of this year. Well, I'm looking forward to, you know, heading back to the further. Hopefully they find a way to really tap into what made those first two films so great. Do you think we get to see that weird Darth Maul uh, demon again? Well, it looks like he was coming up right behind him, but I don't know if that's just like a, a trick for was that, that scene. Was that the same demon? I'm going to have to... I'm gonna have to watch it again. <laughs> it was definitely mirroring mm. that like now iconic scene. So I'm all for it. And now for the nerds review of Renfield, mild spoilers ahead. And now our feature presentation. I don't think he's such a bad guy, but you're never really gonna be free until you face him. I will no longer tolerate abuse. <laughs> I deserve happiness. Let me explain something to you, okay? You deserve only suffering! I will unleash an army of death. Everyone you care about will suffer because you betrayed me. We have to stop him before sunset. Redfield Dracula's henchman longs for a life away from the Count, his various demands and all the bloodshed that comes with them. Renfield's directed by Chris McKay and stars Nicholas Holt, Nicholas Cage and Aquafina. Going in, I figured that Renfield was probably gonna be on the lighter, you know, fun side of films. And, you know, now having seen it, those expectations were met. Uh, Nicholas Holt and Nicholas Cage's relationship as Renfield and Dracula is a blood-soaked comedy with a lot of fun moments, but with a short runtime and simple story, Renfield makes for a good time, but not one that I imagine myself revisiting at all. 
without spoiling it too much or giving away too many details uh the story centers in on a depressed renfield who's tired of the lifestyle he's made with the lord of death dracula over the many hundreds of years dracula and him have gotten into this routine where dracula eats a whole bunch of people and pisses off the church and eventually the church comes out finds him nearly destroys him and renfield saves him ultimately hiding him in a new city so that dracula can grow back to full strength since it's present day and they have done this so many times they've kind of run out of castles to hide in which brings us now to present day new orleans where renfield has begun attending domestic abuse group therapy sessions where i think he's starting to realize his codependence to dracula isn't good for him at the same time when he goes looking for new victims for dracula he accidentally runs into a beat cop named rebecca quincy as played by aquafina who has a vendetta against the lobo mafia family and has been you know causing them too much trouble so of course the son of the lobos comes after her and renfield inadvertently saves her it also sparks in him this you know new need to be a hero which also pushes renfield into finally ending ties with dracula but of course it's not that simple dracula ends up finding new friends in the lobo family and ends up planning to take over the world in spite of renfield's dreams of a new peaceful life so while there is a lot of great moments in the film and i did overall enjoy the characters none of their storylines i feel got enough time or went far enough in this film everything felt very simple and lacked a lot of character development outside of renfield's path of escaping his master and valuing himself like aquafina's character from the start of the film is on a revenge fueled quest but it goes to the wayside in the final act as everything kind of shifts towards renfield's you know fight with dracula rather than rather than us getting any you know kind of finality to her problems with the lobo family or her learning anything about herself there's just no payoff to you know quincy's revenge and speaking of the lobo family they were just very cheesy they're a very cheesy depiction of an evil mob family but even when their storyline starts to pick up, it again just gets cut off super quick. You know, there's this whole point where, you know, Dracula actually gets inspired by Renfield to take over the world instead of living this kind of wild feed and then heal lifestyle that he's been having. And when Dracula, you know, teams up with the Lobo family, it seems like they're going to actually like start, you know, working on that plan. But we never get to see any of that because the story just immediately jumps into the final act and, and just kind of rushes into the fight for Renfield's freedom, which was fun, but could have been better with Dracula being the true menace that he is and giving Renfield maybe a bigger hero's journey in the end knowing that he's stopping Dracula from, you know, getting world domination. And also, while the marketing really points towards, you know, another wild Nick Cage performance, he is surprisingly not in the film as much as I thought he was going to be, or at least didn't get to, you know, have as many scenes as I thought he was. And this also really adds to my other point where, you know, I was hoping that he was going to get a big villain moment in this, but none of the villains really get much time in this at all. They were overall the weakest part of the film. Not to say that Nick Cage as Dracula doesn't deliver, but it also just didn't meet the expectations I guess I had for his role in this. Um, on a brighter note, the gore, it was outrageous and fun, and I definitely popped for a few moments here and there um, during the action sequences, even though there, you know, there isn't like John Wick type of fights in this at all, and they're definitely not shot like that either, but they're just chock full of hilarious and extreme moments that will keep you entertained. Um, Aquafina and Nicholas Holt played off of each other well, 
but the budding romance angle that the, that was there just kind of seems to again just disappear out of nowhere by the end of the film which left that part of me which left that part for me feeling very weird oh and all it just makes me feel like you know the film was fun but maybe if you're interested in it hold off until it's streaming or you know some tv channel picks it up um, i'm going to be giving renfield a c plus and now for the nerds breakdown of the mandalorian season three episode eight spoilers ahead the dark saber is gone you've lost everything mandalorians are weak once they lose their trinkets mandalorians are stronger together in the season finale of the mandalorian we pick up from exactly where we left off with bo katan leading the charge to escape the imperial base on mandalore with axe flying to warn the others bo commands him to have the fleet abandon the capital ship as they will not be able to win a space battle against gideon's new fleet their only option really is to fight a full-on ground assault but as axe agrees to you know give off these commands he clears through the storm and their comms break up so the way this scene cuts away from axe i was expecting like the next time we see him for him to either be captured or for him to find out that the fleet has already been taken out. I mean, if you listen to last week's podcast, you know, we, like a lot of other people, were very suspicious of there being a traitor in the midst of the Mandalorians. And there's no yes. way you could tell me that, you know, Favreau wasn't trying to lead us down that path and kind of, you know, mess with our expectations. But at the end of the day, and we'll get into it in a little bit, I I'm happy that that wasn't the case. No, Damon, I don't like being wrong. You know, I, I, I expected him to be don't, evil. Don't, don't be that guy. <laughs> no one likes that guy. I know. I because know. it is funny, like, how many people out there, like, who actually get upset when their predictions don't come true. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, if I could predict everything, then I wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. I'd be out there in Hollywood writing fucking scripts <laughs> <laughs> like i want the script writers to actually be smarter than us so yes. no but we'll, we'll talk about more later we then join back up with din Djarin as he gets dragged through hallways by a couple of troopers mando is not one to be easily captured so when he gets a chance while still cuffed he uses the wall as leverage to break free of their grasp while he's able to defend himself at first one of the troopers gets a good choke on him with some wire here enters grogu though in his now ig12 armor as he takes out the trooper and breaks mando free not to nitpick but like how the fuck did grogu find him I don't know. I was thinking that too. I was like, how did he find where he went at all? Because at, at the time, he was leaving with Bo. Yes. Like, as far as we were aware. So I don't. You know, and obviously, Bo's not someone you want babysitting for you. Like, she just <laughs> apparently lost the baby right away. Um, it, like, because she goes, <laughs> they go out the other side of the blast door. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't get it, but whatever. I mean, <laughs> he walked over a dead pass or pause or whatever to find him. Like, I don't well, that's know. That's kind of messed up. <laughs> uh. <laughs> For our title card, Mando expresses that instead of sending Grogu to safety, the two of them must hunt down and stop Gideon once and for all, as this fight will never end if he escapes. I do like the fact that he realizes that he can't shelter Groku anymore, that, you know, he's going to have to learn how to survive in this world. And at this point, also, I mean, how many fucking jams has Groku gotten him out of? So, I mean, he's uh -huh. proven himself, you know, capable. So I do like the fact that we're witnessing some kind of growth, you know, between their dynamic. 
Replacing his jetpack with another, Mando checks in with Bo over comms. Meanwhile, TIE fighters scramble to head towards the Mandalorian fleet. A trooper goes to report to Gideon, but Gideon, who is looking at a hollow map, seems to already know that Mando is coming for him and plans to deal with Din himself. Mando and Grogu then traverse the base, needing to find Gideon, so they call R5 in to get schematics of the base. Still nervous to be in combat, the protocol droid makes it down and gets them a hollow map showing them the directions to Moff Gideon's chambers. Axe finally arrives on the capital ship and much to my surprise, follows Bo's orders to the letter, sending out all the Mandalorians to aid Bo on the ground, while he plans to stay with the ship for as long as he can as a decoy. With the Mandalorians narrowly escaping, Axe sits in command while being fired upon by hundreds of TIE interceptors and bombers. I won't lie though, for a split second, I thought they were all gonna like jump out of the ship and then he was gonna turn around and start firing on them. Yes, so. I thought, oh, they're all doomed. <laughs> like he's gonna destroy every ship. I'm glad that wasn't the case, though. But then to that point, I was like, I hope Damon's not right about the armorer then because we hadn't seen her in the episode yet. I was like, oh, what if she's down there uh, meddling some more? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that definitely crossed my mind also. But we, you know, find out soon enough that that's also not the case. <laughs> Arriving outside Gideon's laser shielded chambers, an unarmed Mando has R5 slowly open one shield at a time as he takes out each group of two guards in badass fashion with each level getting a little bit harder as they seem to now have shields and additional weapons to go up against him. So do you think there's like an edict handed down by Disney like saying like you need to have this amount of droid time every season like of star wars because this felt so like forced like i loved it don't get me wrong like it was total like r2d2 goodness whatever um but this felt a little like okay we need something for r5 to do you know <laughs> we need some droids this season i mean this just felt like such a video game level you know oh, at yeah. a level that i would completely suck at too like <laughs> <laughs> like you have to beat the two guards to collect their weapons so you can face off against the other two guards, mm -hmm. you know, until you eventually get to the end where you've collected all the weapons and then you can move on to the final boss. Like, like I was yeah. like, I played this game before. Um, you know, exactly. And not well. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> this is so typical of like how they would set up the end of a game. You fight all the people you've been going up against up to this uh -huh. point. <laughs> yeah. No, but I still dug it regardless. Because uh -huh. part of this is like R5 is like stopping the troopers from lowering the shields so they don't all just like jump uh, Mando all at once, right? Yes. Okay. They give you that obligatory shot of the guards struggling with the button for a second, but I mean, they don't do it enough, clearly. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> well, I, saw, like, I feel like it's like the last group of guards. They're trying to get through the force fields, but I didn't see the others like struggle. They're all just kind of waiting there. It's, you know, at least that's way it felt to me, but whatever. You know, usually it's a cushy job. They get to just stand there. They don't have to do anything. And then out of nowhere, this guy just shows up, right? Yeah. Like... I mean, why make the effort? Wait for the other guys to take care of it. And then, you know, if you have to clean up the mess afterwards, it is what it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> in the very next room, we find out exactly what Gideon has been working on in his cloning chamber as Mando and Grogu make their way in. What the two find is about 10 chambers of Gideon's, you know, very own clones that he must have had Dr. Pershing working on for him. Mando, not wanting any, you know, loose ends, goes into the control panels and destroys all the clones, which was a very smart thing to do. I just love the sheer audacity of Gideon, the sheer arrogance <laughs> to clone himself like over and over again and just you know give himself uh metachlorians like 
Like, like he's just in his mind, he's the perfect being. You know, all he's missing is you know the powers of the Force. Especially uh-huh. when I'm sure he has like at his disposal, like all these other like you know species DNA that probably you know would be better suited you know for an army. But no, you know he's going with himself. Like, <laughs> no, he's the only one that can handle it, right? It did get me thinking, like, you know, if you took something like a bag of Anakin's blood and put that into someone, would that give them, like, a bunch of force power? Is that how that works in this universe? No, I could be wrong, but I feel like in the past, like, you know, there's been, like, legends, like, storylines that kind of, like, dabbled with that theory and, like, proven it wrong, like, that that's not the case. But I can't point to, like, specific source material. But, like, in seeing what's happening here, you know, with... Gideon, it does make you believe that that would be the case. Like, you could just do, like, a huge blood transfusion and then all of a sudden, you know, you have the Force, right? My theory would be that Pershing must have done something with Gideon's DNA to make him, like, the right kind of host, you know, for the Jedi, you know, strand, I guess. Um, You know, at least that's my (laughs) headcanon. Because otherwise, yeah, it does feel a little too easy, you know, to gain force powers. I mean, we can get into this later, but I just feel like I would have enjoyed seeing at least one of those clones come to be and see if he failed or had any type of success in his plan. I mean, we do know, like, you know, obviously during the sequel trilogy that they're having like major issues with like cloning the Emperor and that the clones keep on like deteriorating. So, um... It, it, it must not be that easy, obviously. Now, the Emperor is such a powerful being, I'm sure that's part of it. But I find it hard to believe that it, you know, it was that easy to fuse DNA with, you know, Jedi DNA that, you know, they wouldn't have an entire army of, like, Force-sensitive, force like, troopers. Give it time. They always have more toys to sell. Outside the facility, Bo and her crew follow the Mandalorians who remained on the planet to one of their, you know, hideouts nearby. That's kind of like slightly beneath the crystallized surface. To Bo and the other surprise, the floral life here seems to be flourishing in ways they have never seen before as plants that were once extinct and have been being cultivated by those who remained here for food. And just like Dr. Malcolm from Jurassic Park always says, life finds a way. This is when the armorer and everyone else call in to Bo to let them know that the reinforcements have arrived, and which turns into what must be one of the largest scenes of jetpacks in Star Wars history as Bo and the Mandalorian soar right into battle with Bo wielding the dark saber holy shit i thought this scene was amazing especially like Bo leading the charge swinging the dark saber um i loved every moment of this while the jetpack warfare wages on mando and grogu find a pissed off moff gideon as he of course monologues the purpose of his clones he in fact was trying to make an army of himself that would also be able to access the force when we first met him i mean this might play into his arrogance but like you would think he would at least age the clones a little younger than he is currently, oh. too, <laughs> right? Because they did no, look younger. He is perfect to me. in his own eyes, right? Yeah, uh. that's what I'm saying. <laughs> He's like, no, this is peak Gideon right here. <laughs> I don't know. Just the the fact that it didn't, like crosses mine probably, I, I just find hilarious. 
A fight of course breaks out between Gideon and Din Djarin, but the added robotics of his Dark Trooper suit gives Gideon the strength advantage over Mando. And if that wasn't enough, the Praetorian guards get added to the mix and overwhelm Mando. When Grogu tries to intervene, the guards then turn their attention to him and corner him into another room as Gideon beats on Mando. Hey, I said like this was the first time in a long time that I was actually like nervous for Grogu. Yeah, I was like, if a Praetorian guard can't, you know, land a single blow on him, I'd be kind of pissed. You know, that <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially like after they so easily like took out uh, Paz, right? Now we have three separate fights all going on at the same time. Bo utilizing her knee rockets, armor beating people in midair with a hammer, Gideon blasting Mando with rockets, all while Grogu is forced to abandon his robot body to take the high ground and dodge the attacks coming from the Praetorian guards. I just love the armorer like going full on like Thor on, you know, on those yes. troopers and taking them out. Like she just refuses to get like, you know, wield any other kind of weapon but her hammer. And obviously rightfully so. <laughs> Cause she hasn't like tasted defeat yet, right? No, I was marking out for every hit. It was great. <laughs> Bo while in the air sees Din Djarin is in trouble and swoops in to save him. Gideon proceeds to taunt her, asking if this time she will surrender or fight, prompting a saber battle between the two of them, while Bo sends off Mando to go save Grogu. I thought this was a great moment, but I was definitely concerned for Bo here. Like I thought, oh, she's gonna hold off Moff just long enough for Mando to rescue Grogu and to come back and see like, you know, Moff, you know, take down Bo. So I was definitely happy that I was wrong. Yeah, it definitely would have been a tragic end there. Yeah, it would feel very like New Hope with like Luke seeing Obi-Wan getting struck down by Vader. Mm. Though I don't think she would disappear into the floor. <laughs> Her armor's just sitting on the ground. Uh -huh. I don't know, my headcanon was like, oh, that this is going to inspire Mando to become like the new leader of the Mandalorians, but obviously that wasn't the case. With the combined might of Grogu and Mando, the Praetorian guards do what they can, but consistently get stopped by the force attacks from Grogu, which, you know, gives Mando room to shoot them down. I thought those was a cool little like team up. I think this is probably a preview of what we're going to be getting in the fourth season, especially now that Mando's trusting Grogu more um, on missions. Um, I do hope though, we eventually see Grogu get some sort of fucking weapon. <laughs> You know, yes. I was half expecting him to pick up like one of those staffs um, at the end, but you know, it is what it is. Perhaps he'll be able to fashion something new out of something Maybe. old. <laughs> While Bo and Gideon duel, Axe reports in that the capital ship is on a collision course with the base. Gideon again asks Bo for the Darksaber, but only offers her a warrior's death in return. With Bo's next string of attacks, though, Gideon is able to get hold of the blade's hilt and crushes it in her hands. First of all, it's like, who told Axe to go all fucking like kamikaze and shit? Like, what? <laughs> what the fuck? It's like, no, Axe, we're all here. What are you doing? Don't crash the ship into the base. We could use this place, first of all. Like, what are you doing? That's a good point. They probably could have refactioned yeah, it into like, something. I mean, but... <laughs> it ended up working out at the end, but still, like, he just kind of like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and just crash the ship into the fucking... I was like, wait, you don't even know what's going on on the ground here. <laughs> you could take out your entire fucking, like, race. What are you, what are you doing? Uh, uh, I was surprised to see the Darksaber get destroyed here. Uh, and I, I know there's a lot of fans who are upset about it, but I'm assuming somewhere down the line, we're going to see a different version of the Darksaber, you know, get crafted. Yeah. Um, you know, most likely welded by Grogu. Um, I don't know. It's, 
it's it's gonna be okay, people. Um, <laughs> we're gonna get the scene I've been asking for for ages. Maybe, maybe. I almost hope that you don't get that scene, <laughs> you know, out of spite, but probably so, Christian. I did really enjoy this battle scene though between Bo and Moff Gideon. Like, you could just really feel Bo's rage and like how much you really just wanted to kill this man. Gideon, thinking he's won, claims that Bo has now lost everything and mocks Mandalorians by saying that they are all weak without their trinkets. But Bo smiles and claims Mandalorians are stronger together as Din Djarin and Grogu enter the fight. Axe escapes the capital ship while it makes its final strides down towards the base. Meanwhile, Mando, Bo, and Grogu use their combined skills to take on Gideon. As the ship crashes into the base, the fire begins to spread, engulfing Gideon in flames while Grogu uses the Force to protect Din and Bo, ending the fight. So while I totally understand what they were going for with this scene, you know, with all the Mandalorians uniting to take down, you know, Moth and his sect of, you know, remnants. At the same time, I was a little disappointed that it wasn't Bo who got like the final like death blow on on Gideon. Mm -hmm. um, even if it was just you know her pushing him into the flame somehow, it just felt a little unsatisfying to me, especially knowing how much like pain and anguish you know he's like caused her. It just felt like it was Bo's fight to win but at the same time i like i totally get the symbolism of the moment with grogu and mando and Bo and kamikaze axe all teaming up to take moth down it just for me would have felt a little more gratifying if it was Bo who you know delivered that final blow to you know gideon i mean would you say it would have been the perfect bow for her storyline i hate you but no, I agree. I felt like it would have made more sense for her to get in that last shot there at the end. Um, even I like I get what they were going for with the whole togetherness. Yeah. You know, like we, we we're, we're doing this with unity. But, you know, not, none of them really did it. It was the fire yeah. that killed him. <laughs> or just crazy ass acts. Right. Um, yeah. Because it could have been a case where they all like got her to that moment where she finally gets to take out Gideon. Um, and I think that same message would have gotten across just fine. After that, we return to the living waters under the capital city of Mandalore, where we once again see Paz Vizsla's son take his rights, only this time in the actual living waters. After which, Din Djarin approaches with Grogu, and it seems that he wants Grogu to officially be made his apprentice, but the armorer claims he is too young to take the creed, you know, since he can't talk yet. Master of Loopholes Din Djarin, though, then asks if a parent could grant permission, in which the armorer again states Grogu has no parents with him here, but Din proposes he be allowed to adopt the child as his own, which the armorer grants him the new title of Din Grogu, Mandalorian Apprentice. So Din is apparently the kind of guy who like reads the new car manual from front to back. That's that's pretty much yes. <laughs> like, that's pretty much who he is. <laughs> He's like, actually, um, I just kind of assume like having a foundling meant that you've adopted them. So I was like, oh, OK, sure. I mean, this was a nice mm -hmm. enough moment. Don't get me wrong. And like I was like, oh, so that's how your names work. So the Din is actually like your last name. Yes, which makes it weird that I've called him Din like multiple times. It feels like other these people years. have too. So, like on yes, the show, yes. apparently not like everyone knows this, but it whatever. And I doubt anyone's ever going to call Grogu Din Grogu. So, <laughs> I'm going to do it now. Wait a second, Chris. That doesn't even make sense. Like Paz Vizla comes from a long line of Vizlas, I believe. So wait. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. 
I, I don't know. Maybe it's just Dijard's family or whoever his master was. That's that was where uh, they're from. It's okay. backwards. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure someone out there knows. So if you do know, reach uh -huh. out to us and explain it because I'm confused. Um, but yeah, I, I don't get it. <laughs> you make a good point. I mean, the Vizslas are yeah. an important family. They made yes. the Darksaber. <laughs> yes. And they're all I mean, they all have different first names. I thought they were first names. Uh -huh. But maybe I'm wrong. Do you think the armor's name is the no, armor? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Although it'd be kind of cool if it was. Before we move on, I I got spoiled by a uh, TikTok on the actual face for the uh, armor. I've never seen oh, the actress, okay. but uh, she went to a con and uh, had like walked around in the armor gear and took off her helmet. I was like, oh, now I know what you actually look like. <laughs> You've spoiled you the moment for the me. Armor. Um, yeah, I've seen her in like behind the scenes, like footage and shit like that. Before, gotcha. so. The armor then tasked Dinjarin with, you know, taking Grogu out on missions to train his apprentice as his master did for him. And while they speak to one another, Grogu looks into the water and we pan down into the depths to once again see the mythosaur open its eye. Din Grogu is definitely right in that fucking mythosaur christian he's definitely fucking riding the mythosaur <laughs> and most likely with a brand spanky new dark saber like he felt out with the force oh, right yeah. like that's yeah what woke I'm, him I'm up sure. okay i want to make yeah, sure it, it, i mean and they've set that up with all this like you know his uh -huh. like, beast force sensitivity or whatever the hell you call it so i mean it all makes sense at the Great Forge, Bo and the armorer ignite the flames as a now united people chant for Mandalore and clank their armored wrists together. So I totally love this scene. I got goosebumps and everything. Um, but I couldn't help but think like all of a sudden we're going to cut to black and we're going to get like that title card and that voiceover that says like nine months later. And that was just going like, <laughs> to cut to a scene of like the Mandalorians just killing each other like in Civil War. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's going to be Axe, right? Like, at some point. Oh, we do the charge? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You'll totally get, like, him hitting a V-trigger on uh, the armor. <laughs> With Sasha Banks totally hitting the bank statement on Paz's kid. Fucking <laughs> purge mania over here, huh? Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> it's happening. But I'm also the guy who had the armor like betraying her cult, so what do I know? We then see the N1 fighter make its way to the rebel base where Carson Teva is stationed. Here, Mando makes a proposition with Carson to work off the books on missions in the Outer Rim for the New Republic since they are greatly unmanned here and need someone probably to investigate the Imperial Remnants. Carson says he will think about it, but Mando knows he already made up his mind. Above the bar, there are several helmets and droid heads in which Grogu notices an IG unit's head. Mando, asking for an advance, claims that he wants the IG head for some parts. Yeah, so this looks like it's going to be part of like Grogu's excursion, if you will. He'll go on bounty hunting missions with Mando, um, mm. kind of taking us back to where we're at, you know, in the first season. But it just sounds like he's going to stay away from like the seat of your jobs. He's going to be your like friendly neighborhood bounty hunter, if you will. <laughs> you know, what's something I never thought about is the fact that like we don't know anything about Din's master, like who he trained under. Yeah, I definitely think that will be something they play into in a future season. At least I, I hope they we see something of that. Yeah, because you got to think there's a story there, right, mm -hmm. to be told. Or they're just like totally setting up for like a prequel series, right? <laughs> oh, God, I didn't even think about that. It's possible. <laughs> I wouldn't be against it, honestly, so. I just want to know if he was like stealing, you know, fruit the way Grogu was, you know, as a kid. You know, if there was any parallels there. 
that's that's what you want to know. That's the big question uh-huh. you have, Christian. <laughs> On Navarro 7, Mando meets up with Grief Karga. There, Karga gives him ownership of a hut nearby to stay in between missions. And with the Mandalorians not around to protect Navarro, and Din not being available to be Marshall, Mando gives a gift to Karga in the form of a rebuilt IG-11 to be Marshall of the town. And as our episode ends, we get one more glimpse of father and son chilling at their new cabin on Navarro. I know Din is probably like a, a minimalist, but like I was a little disappointed with the square footage of this cabin. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I feel like grief. You could have done a little better by him. Like he did save his fucking planet. Uh. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> So this was a much happier like season finale than I was expecting yes. to get. To the point where it almost felt like a series finale. Did you get that vibe? I, I thought at least it was a chapter, you know, and an ending to like the first part of Mandalorian. Because I, yeah, you know, I, I mean, know that there was going to be more. But yes, obviously, I know like season four is already in uh-huh. production. So. <laughs> It's just the way that they put, like, such a nice bow, no pun intended, asshole, um, (laughs) on all the different storylines that if they chose to end the series here and now, that it would almost make sense. But my guess is that was more done to, like, kind of reset the table for the fourth season. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get, like, some kind of time jump, Uh, since apparently we got a time jump last season that no one even really knew about. I mean, even after finishing this season, it still doesn't feel like there was a time jump between the two. Yeah, it was supposed to be almost like two fucking years. (laughs) Now, at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we don't see, you know, uh, Din and Grogu pop up in the the Ahsoka series. Um, But I also don't think it's out of the question, too, that like once we get back to season four of the show... Like, we don't see an older, like, Grogu. Like, actually see him, like, you know, show some age this Mm -hmm. time around. Because even though two years passed, I mean, that's probably, like, two months, you know, in his lifespan, you know, comparatively speaking, you know, to ours. But I I still wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a Grogu who's maybe a couple inches taller and maybe, you know, can utter a couple words um, or wield a weapon, you know, more efficiently. I mean, I definitely feel like speech is going to be a thing because, you know, we left off this season with him almost saying a word a couple times here. So I feel like that's the next. Yeah, he definitely feels like, you know, a young child who's about to, like, say his first word. Like, there's a lot of, like, you know, babbling and gooing going on. Now, obviously, we don't know how, you know, the, the first season of Ahsoka is going to end. But you also have to assume when we get back to The Mandalorian... Like, Thrawn is going to be, like, a real threat, you know, to the galaxy. Um, So it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, how Mando reacts to that. Thrawn is such a, like, cerebral, like, type of character. Like, he's always trying to get into people's heads. It's definitely a different type of adversary for Din Djarin to face off against. And who knows? I mean, maybe he doesn't directly go against Thrawn here. Because, like I said, we have no idea Mm. how the first season of Ahsoka is going to end. I mean, we know that he's going to be working in a way for the New Republic, but like maybe he'll be going up against different threats that are kind of like adjacent to Thrawn. Exactly, because I feel like Thrawn is our our, our end bad for the movie or whatever they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. I, I could totally see like the film being all about like the downfall maybe of Thrawn. And then maybe we get a glimpse of how Snoke comes to be Mm. in his rise to power because that's absolutely what they're setting up with the whole like necromancer program. Now I know we're about to do our, you know, full season reviews, but like all in all, you know, 
when it comes to this finale, I was pretty satisfied with it. Like, I didn't feel like it was rushed at all. And I do like how it kind of sets up a new chapter for, you know, the Mandalorian going forward. You know, I felt like it was kind of like a part two to last week's episode. Like, I felt like these two episodes just kind of work seamlessly with one another. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. With that said, Damon, what grade would you give the overall season? All right, so I'm going to go ahead and give season three of The Mandalorian a B. Um, I thought it was an entertaining enough season that just had like the unenviable task of following an absolute epic season two. Um, I loved how they really amped up the action to new heights. I mean, every episode had just a, a like an incredible like cinematic action set piece uh, in the middle of it. And I, I mean, and I loved the deep dive we took into everything like Mandalorian and how we got to watch this like broken society rise from the ashes and perhaps become whole again. And how that kind of really played like parallel to the remnants of the Empire, you know, lurking, plotting and planning in the shadows. Now, with that being said, uh, we definitely didn't get enough Imperials for my liking. But what we did get, I thought was intriguing. And, you know, with the return of Thrawn on the horizon, it looks like we're going to be getting to watch the true origin story of the First Order unfold which I'm absolutely here for. I just I just wish they would have spread out like the Moff Gideon story throughout the season instead of like just cramming it into the last two episodes. Uh, because like without a real antagonist for the first six, you know, episodes, it, it just made this season feel a little directionless at times. Um, and like I said, I, I enjoyed the Mandalorian story as a whole. It just never truly felt like Din Djurin and Grogu's story. It, it, it really felt like they were just along for the ride. I mean, Bo-Katan is a great character and she really got to shine this season. But they just didn't tether Din's story enough to her journey. I think I said this last week, but in like episode seven, we hear Din like pledge his allegiance to her. And I feel like this was a conversation that really needed to happen earlier on because it almost felt like once Din bathed in the living waters and redeemed himself in the eyes of the children of the watch, like his personal story arc just ended. Um, I'm hoping that with the season finale kind of resetting like Mando's mission statement that we'll get back to basics with like Din and Grogu taking center stage once again. So what I guess it really boils down to is I thought this season was a fun enough ride that, you know, kept me invested in this era of Star Wars. But it just, it never quite reached the same highs as the previous seasons which admittedly are some pretty big guys. I mean, you're right. It was probably not going to, you know, live up to season two unless they brought in a whole litany of crazy characters. And that probably would have most likely detracted from the story rather than add to it, especially if they have to keep doing that every single season. 
Regardless, I feel like I share a lot of the same sentiments to Damon here to a degree. Um, I think the story could have been the same, but just spread out through the episodes better to make it feel a little bit more cohesive because that lack of connective tissue really started to weigh on me after that we got 30 minutes with Dr. Pershing and then nothing related to that for several episodes. I think the you know storyline that I ended up getting the most into was Bo-Katan's, but that's mainly because the story really shifted to her. While we may have joked a lot about you know her sitting and moping on the throne, I didn't expect her to grow and unite the clans in the way that she did, especially without some type of evil angle you know behind her actions. You know, it's simply just was the story that played out the best the entire season versus Din Djarin's, as Damon said. But even her story for me didn't have, I would say, you know, enough twists and turns. You know, everyone's journey, you know, felt very straightforward. And while I didn't need there to be a big twist, I felt like everything we were getting in the first half, everything that we were getting in the first half of the season was going to at least subtly build to something bigger in the later half. And to me, it just didn't deliver there at all. But again, that just goes back into what we were saying about the season needing to spread out its storylines better as if there was more to Moff Gideon's story and it played out earlier on in the season it probably would have played better for me. You know, as a Star Wars fan and a Mandalorian fan, I still had a lot of fun with the journeys that they went on, but until those last couple episodes, it just felt like the season was playing more like a Tales of the Mandalorian, like an anthology series rather than something that was meant to be watched as one book of as one book or chapter in Din Djarin's life. And that's really just not how I remember feeling after seeing those first two seasons of the show. Um, I'm going to be giving season three a B minus, and I still have a lot of hopes for the future of The Mandalorian. I still feel like I was right in saying that this is the lesser season of the franchise so far. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners, know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped, so why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric Beard Hedger. The Beard Hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manhole. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped
Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. So lately there's been a lot of talk about the anti-piracy software Genovo. I hope that's how you say that, but Genovo. Um, every day it seems there's a new story about game developers either adding it or removing it from their games, which personally I had been ignoring because I wasn't fully aware of what Genovo was. So I decided to, you know, do some digging into it and you know find out why everyone is, you know, talking about this anti-piracy software. Um, at the surface, Genovo is a strong tool you used by developers to you know stop those who are attempting to crack and put out you know new games for free. Reports claim that cracking technology and techniques has only advanced over the years and we now can see titles cracked day one like Doom was during its release. Games that utilize Denovo, however, have been said to slow down a game's cracking by up to 100 days, forcing consumers to buy the game within its first three months, which is obviously appealing for big name studios and companies looking to earn as much as they can with, within its release window. However, PC gamers have of course noticed this software comes at a price to their own performance as games with it seem to put more stress on their systems, let alone gamers with low-end gaming PCs just not being able to play these games at all due to the the heavier needs to run them. So in lines why consumers aren't all that happy when they hear Genovo is in their game. Game piracy isn't something that's going anywhere anytime soon, uh, with reports claiming piracy has increased of course, during the pandemic era, um, along with game prices increasing and older games, you know, simply being made unavailable to play altogether unless you pirate and play them through emulators. I do understand the reason why DRM and anti-piracy exists nowadays and the obvious reasons why AAA studios would be utilizing DeNovo, but the fact that this is making it harder for gamers to, to play makes this all feel like a just huge double-edged sword for everyone, especially when I think about how many people were just unable to purchase and get their hands on newer CPUs and GPUs for their rigs this last few years. So really, you're just losing some of your PC market whether you launch the game with or without DeNovo, it would seem. But honestly, I would love to hear some of your guys' opinions. Does hearing DeNovo being a part of a game, you know, stop you from purchasing it? Let us know on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or at Amazing Nerd Live. Um, outside of that, we learned recently of Asus's new handheld device called the ROG Ally, which would be a direct competitor to the Steam Deck. Uh, this new system will have a 7-inch 1080p 120 hertz display and is designed to run windows titles through windows 11. it's also you know it also will pack a punch with the amd rdna 3 though exact specs haven't been released just yet by asus i just find it kind of interesting that companies like valve and asus are pushing you know to release these switch like devices um, asus has yet to set a price or release window but for the ally to really be competitive it would probably have to be you know either at a 650 price point or or lower but considering it's got some slightly newer specs than what we're seeing with the steam deck 
which most likely won't do them any favors. Um, I've still yet to try out, you know, something like a Steam Deck in general. I'm not sure I know anyone who even has one, but I'd love to know your thoughts on this style of console. I know there's rumors of a Switch 2 on the horizon as well. Um, you can talk more gaming with me on our Twitch channel where we play the games that we talk about here on the show. Um, I will be live this weekend on Saturday, and then I should be live on Monday and Tuesday as well. But Sunday, I have to take off uh, for an event that I'm doing. But by next week's episode, I should be starting survivor so make sure to catch us live on twitch for that and catch some of our other playthroughs like horizon forbidden west and more um for now let's move on to some wrestling there you go wow uncharacteristic show of respect out of adam cole baby you know i'm glad you said those words about me those kind words i appreciate that and you know, I've been watching a lot of your stuff recently, and I've been thinking a lot about this, and I really want to say from the bottom of my heart that I have absolutely zero respect for you. Wow, oh, okay. Brother. That didn't last long, did it? That let's feel hear, good? Let's hear him out. Let's hear the man out. We do. As a matter of fact, I think you're kind of an arrogant son of a bitch. Okay, we've heard him out. He's kind of right. I kind of agree. Yeah. All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's go ahead and jump into our AEW recap for the week. Um, I don't know how you felt about this show, but man, I thought this whole two hours was just a giant disappointment. I was not a big fan. Like, it literally had, like, everything that I dislike about AEW. <laughs> like, up front and center. Just the, just overstuffed overbooked way too much gaga i don't know what the hell was going on this week you know in their attempt to overstimulate us i just felt bored throughout it i just there was nothing too that nothing gripping enough that made me want to be like i want to tune in next week for AEW. yeah i mean starting with the opening segment i mean i thought this was a major step back for you know what looks to be the main event match uh mm -hmm. and the upcoming double or nothing um, you know, we start off with uh, the four pillars all hitting the ring in a very like super contrived WWE like segment. Um, I just like I said, I just felt like it was a step backwards, you know, you know, for this whole storyline, um, you know, and for the angle as a whole, like they just I, I think they've at this point overexposed the pillars, you know, especially mm. on the mic. Um, and they just at this point don't seem to have too much more to say um there was just too much like inside baseball going on like this whole like work shoot like bullshit where like these characters we've come to know and love are just acting out of character um you know especially like darby like i don't know like i don't think they're confident enough in their own abilities to carry a segment off like this and it really showed like why MJF is where he's at and why mm -hmm. and why they're still where they're at. Um, if that makes any sense. Like I pretty much hated all this. Like <laughs> like all the weird stuff uh that were that was just awkwardly delivered about like uh like Darby accusing Jungle Boy of being part of this like California clique, and that's the only reason why he got his job in AEW and you know, uh uh Jungle Boy telling the only, telling Darby the only reason he's there is because you know he failed as a skateboarder. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, what is going on? And like, he's rude in the back. And I was like, why? What are we doing here? <laughs> like, it just felt like they were trying to be edgy to be edgy. And it did a real just disservice to their characters. Like they started mentioning like AEW's glass ceiling, which is a total like WWE thing. Yes. And it's not something that's ever talked about or like doesn't even feel like a, a real thing. Because like these guys wouldn't even be in the segment. If there was a glass yes. <laughs> ceiling in AEW. It's like, what are you fucking bitching about? It really just felt like two like baby faces in a heel whining and, you know, burying not only like the company they work for, but like themselves. Like, <laughs> I was like, why? What was the point of this segment? Like, I was like relieved when MJF came out there. Um, and I felt like the audience also reacted that way because he got a huge fucking pop. Um, you know, and they just weren't reacting to any of the like one-liners these guys were delivering. Mm-hmm. Like there was no oohs and ahs. Um, like it was just it was too much inside baseball, honestly. Um, I did like Sammy, like, you know, kind of just like sitting back and enjoying, you know, watching Jungle Boy and Darby go at it. And Sammy, to be fair, was the only one who felt like he was actually in character. And I felt like he handled himself decently on the mic, but he still said a bunch of nothing like, you know, like it didn't really like, I don't know, like enhance the storyline at all. It just once again, like really made it evident why MJF is in the position he is compared to the rest of the pillars. Like, I don't need a reason for these guys to dislike each other. They all just want to be champion. You know, it's, it's their job to be here and they want to be on the top. Yeah. That's, that's as simple as that. Yeah. That's all we need. Like I'm okay with baby (laughs) face first baby face uh-huh. that's fine um i don't need some like made-up contrived reason for you know jungle boy and you know darby to have beef and then like everything with like the pillars tournaments with you know mjf coming out and like literally pulling a name out of the hat mm. you know so someone can get a buy which like i hated fucking darby's reaction to like he actually like said yes that he wasn't yes, going to wrestle for it. I was yeah. like, that's not who Darby is. What the <laughs> fuck? What's happening? Just so weird. Um, like I love the fact that Tony allows his wrestlers to go out and express themselves as themselves. Um, and they're pretty much unscripted. I mean, they get notes on where they want the segment to go, but for you know, the most part, they're kind of out there on their own. But at the same time, like, this is another example of them really needing, like, at least a, like, segment supervisor who kind of goes over, you know, what they're going to say and, you know, maybe give them some kind of guidance. Like, oh, let's not go in that direction or this doesn't make sense or, you know, is this really your character? Um Because, man, this just didn't work. And I felt like really just set this whole storyline back. Like, I was excited before, you know, this Dynamite, you know, for the Four Pillars match. And now I'm just kind of like, whatever, I'm over it. (laughs) Because if you think about it, like the first couple segments we had of this story, like Darby and, you know, even Sammy to a certain extent, like really kind of stated their case because if you really think about it with like those first four pillar segments like they exceeded all expectations you know with their promos especially like darby but obviously that seems like kind of the exception to the rule and this whole idea now of them having to do this tournament that just feels like you know a complete like convoluted mess 
um, and just an obvious way to stall before, you know, the eventual mm-hmm. announcement of a, you know, four way, you know, at the pay-per-view. I mean, the one silver lining is they they're they're still doing a through line story wise, you know, throughout the entire episode from the beginning segment to the end segment. Uh, that seems to be a staple of late with Dynamites. Because, you know, this set up the main event match between uh, Sammy and Jungle Boy, uh, which is actually the first time they've ever met in the ring, which is crazy to okay. think. Yeah. And it was a match that I was totally excited for until we got all the antics that was set up, you know, with the promo in the middle of the show later on. Yes. Which made everything way more weird. Yes. Yes. Just a mess. You know, <laughs> what's it like too much fucking Gaga just for Gaga's sake. I don't get it. But before that, we had the AEW Women's Champion Jamie Hayter teaming with Dr. Britt Baker in her hometown to defeat Ruby Soho and Tony Storm. I thought the match itself was fine, um, but I was a little turned off by the fact that there was no story progression once again. Mm-hmm. Like nothing happened after the match to make me interested in this, you know, story. Um, it almost felt like it was. You know, perhaps the conclusion of the storyline, <laughs> uh, which would be weird, but we know that's not the case. Like, you have to give a lot of credit to Britt Baker for being as over as she is in Pittsburgh. I mean, the crowd was definitely excited. Um, I thought, like, Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter really brought their A game. Um, I love just watching those two go against each other in the ring. Um I will say I'm a sucker for, you know, matching outfits in wrestling. Like, I love a good, like, (laughs) (laughs) team uniform. And that's what we got with the outcast, you know, rocking the green and the black. I mean, that's, you know, starting to win me over. It was a little too DX light uh, before, but, you know, I don't know. It's a good look. I will say, like, the one thing that really stood out to me is I feel like in the ring, like, Hater, Storm, and even Ruby to a certain extent, just feel like they're on a different level compared to Soraya and uh, Baker. Um, You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, Baker's a great character and everything like that, and she's fantastic on the mic, but I just feel like she's a step below, like, those three. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, overall, like, I was happy that they were in the second segment of the show, which is crazy. I'm sure part of the reason for that was because they were in Pittsburgh, and, you know, Tony knew the kind of reaction they were going to get. Um, and overall, I felt like this was a good, like, palate cleanser um, for, you know, the previous segment, which, once again, was just god all. Which is fine. I just wish it had done more for the story. Like, I thought this was going to end with, like, a no contest just because of how much they were messing with, like, I think that was supposed to be Britt's mom in the front row. Yeah, but that went there. nowhere. And, you know, yeah. you could tell by the way she was reacting that it wasn't something that was scripted either. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I thought at one point she was going to totally like show up. <laughs> um, like, okay, now, you know, you've defeated Ruby and storm, but you know, can you defeat Soraya and you know, someone else? And of course, later on in the night, we get a taste of that. You know, it, it seems like they're setting something up there, um, mm-hmm. for Soraya and perhaps Brit. I did get concerned at the end of the match. Uh, Hater did such a great sell job for her shoulder and then even afterwards, uh, you saw the trainer, like, lead her yeah. out right away. And, you know, Britt, like, closely followed. I was like, okay, well, the, you know, she's obviously selling. They're they're probably working some kind of, like, you know, story. Um, and, you know, we would see that kind of play out later on. But before we move on, Britt should stay away from doing the Panama Sunrise. 
<laughs> like she just doesn't pull it off. She just feels a little too, like a step slow when mm. she's doing it. And you could tell like, you know, especially on this occasion, like Ruby did all of the work. And, you know, I mean, that's always the case with that move. But you shouldn't be able to see that on the screen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you can tell that they're thinking about it in yeah, the moment. She definitely so. like hesitated. There was uh -huh. just no like snap to it. But after that, we had a backstage moment between Renee and Wardlow. Um, Wardlow, I guess, is teaming up with Arn Anderson now. Listen, I love Arn Anderson, and I was excited to see him on the screen. I can understand why some people wouldn't feel the same, but but I'm always in the mood for an Arn Anderson promo. And I thought story-wise, this makes at least sense on why Wardlow would want someone watching his back. Um, you know, and you have the whole, like, Tully connection and everything like that with, you know, him working with Tully at one point with, you know, the pinnacle, so... And it gives Arn something to do. And I feel like, you know, Wardlow, it, it doesn't hurt Wardlow to have, you know, a, a mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully it kind of like helps to like refocus the character. Yeah, because I, I mean, I don't have any issues with Wardlow having a manager. I would hope that like kind of similar to what Arn was trying to do with Cody back in the day and kind of like, you know, bring him in, rein him in a little bit. Maybe that's what they could do with their storyline with Wardlow. Like he's he hasn't had the best of luck, even though he's you know winning now. But yeah, <laughs> they kind of use Arn to kind of just bring out a new edge to the character. That's fine. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Like I'm not usually a fan of like babyface managers, but I, I do feel mm. like this can work, especially if they kind of go the route that Cody was with Arn, where he's kind of playing like a, a coach type character. But they definitely need to kind of limit the physicality that Arn does in the ring. So, um, you know, he's he's not getting any younger. So. <laughs> And at the same time, he'll definitely serve as a great like heat magnet for some, you know, you know, heel, you know, to take advantage of. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm all for this. After that, we had the amateurs, the elite come out to address the Blackpool Combat Club. Uh, they called them out in the middle of the ring. So I wasn't a huge fan of Kenny's promo in the ring. Like, I, I just didn't really believe him i don't know just like something about him saying like squash the beef or something like it was like what like you're not wanting to squash the beef you're trying to avenge your fallen comrades so i don't mm. know um Maybe it was just a poor choice of words for that last moment yeah, but i but felt like not the, even the last like, moment got like, over it's just a little dry to me like and i mm. i don't mind kenny on the mic but this just didn't do anything for me um it, he just didn't have that fire for this like big heated right you know, blood feud that's going on right now. On the other hand, I love everything that uh, Brian did, um, you know, appearing on the big screen, distracting the elites from, you know, the ambush that was obviously about to happen. Like every time they mm -hmm. get so tight on the shot, you know, you know, someone's about to do a run in and the crowd obviously gave it away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do like the whole amateur thing that Brian's going with. Um, it feels like he might be channeling a little CM Punk, you know, and calling out <laughs> the elite. Um, uh -huh. I liked the brawl that ensued for the most part. I loved how Nick was just throwing his body at people like a lawn dart. Uh -huh. um, you know, I saw like multiple dives within like a minute <laughs> from him. Um, I liked Kenny that like, you know, he wasn't like spot heavy. Like he was all like fists and, you know, kicks. Um and like 
Matt, like on the other hand, like I, I don't know, I didn't feel like the Northern Light suplex spot, you know, that he does, where he does that, like you know, the multiple yeah, over, over and over, over again. again. I yeah. felt like that was a little weird and out of place. But I get it, like he's injured right now, so he's probably like really limited, like physically, like what he can do out there. So I thought that was fine. Um, speaking of being limited, I'm like you brought up a good point that like Brian came out after the fact and like he didn't really get physical whatsoever. Like it to the no. point where like it took him so long to come out that I was wondering if he was even there because he wasn't on the show last week either. So perhaps, you know, he's got some kind of injury because it does feel a little out of place. Now, we know like when he initially turned, he must have been healthy because he delivered one hell of a psycho knee. Um, but maybe something happened. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. It, it was a little off that like Brian wasn't seemingly mm-hmm. involved. Um, but yeah, then we had Don Callis, you know, run down the ramp, uh, with the chair once, you know, Brian pulled out his screwdriver, which I, I still, <laughs> it's such a weird gimmick that he's going with right now. This whole theme of him being a handyman trying to like fix the AEW house. <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, but yeah, Callis ran down the ramp with the chair, thought better of it, you know, once, you know, Brian called him out and then, you know, made a beeline to the back. Um, I figured that at that point he was probably coming out with someone, but I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if it was going to be Hangman or someone else. And sure enough, it was someone else. We finally got some follow up on the whole like Takeshita storyline, which we know like Callis has been courting him for months. And I think the last mm-hmm. time we saw it was maybe... Like, I think the last time we saw anything of it was maybe, like, on Rampage, like, a month and a half ago. When Callis, you know, showed up to an airport to uh, greet Takeshita when he landed with, you know, all this pomp and circumstance. But ever since then, it just felt like it was kind of dropped. But, I mean, they've been stop and start with this story for, you know, like I said, months at this point. So I'm glad that, like, okay, now we know where we're headed and everything. Uh, you know, Takeshita and Kenny teamed up to take out Moxley from the ring. And then afterwards, Callus uh, was trying to celebrate in the middle of the ring with both Omega and Takeshita, you know, raising their arms. And then, you know, the Bucks <laughs> got, you know, showed up. And I don't know. It, you could see a lot of side eyes, you know, from the elite and like exactly yes. what the hell's going on here. And, you know, why is Takeshita involved? Um, but I'm glad they're doing something with him. Um, I'll be interested to see like what direction they go though. Like, is this going to lead into Callus betraying Omega for Takeshita or, you know, Callus trying to get Omega to betray, you know, the Bucks? I mean, we're definitely gonna be stirring up a lot of jealousy. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing like Takeshita like just, you know, turning on all of them and joining like yes. the Blackpool Combat Club. I feel like that's a better fit Um, (laughs) because at this point, I feel like they can't put off like Hangman, like reuniting the elite anymore than they already have. Like they need to pull the trigger, you know, eventually here. So, and I'm sure that's probably where we're headed. You know, maybe it'll be like an uneasy alliance, but but it seems pretty obvious that we're going to get like, you know, a a stadium stampede match or an anarchy in the arena Mm. match, you know, for, you know, double or nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very possible for Takeshita to end up turning on at least one of the sides here. Just because, you know, especially like even the way that it was introduced with him coming out and he seems a little bit confused by what Don Callis is trying to do. And then just them never seeming to click while they're like trying to celebrate the end mm-hmm. just feels like it's not meant to be. 
You know, like they it's just a placeholder until Hangman comes back from whatever's going on with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a, probably a way to get Callus away from Omega. Yeah. Like storyline wise and give Callus something to do at the same it time. It is though, like a shame. Like if Takeshita were to join uh BCC, it would have been cool if like, you know, Cole was available and then it could have been like a five V five, you know, situation. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of story there. Just because, mm-hmm. you know, Cole would need to make amends for jumping the elite, um, you know, all those months back. Um, so I think they're probably going to wait to tell this story before they go to the Cole, you know, they go the Cole direction. Um, but that would be a cool, like, run in. And, like, maybe yeah. that's, you know, how they kind of, you know, mend fences is Cole, you know, gets their back and, you know, they let bygones be bygones. Um you know, I wouldn't be opposed to that, but, you know, he's kind of like, you know, seemingly tied up with Jericho for the time being now, Yes, um, which is fine. You know, um, I just I'm just fearful that they're going to have this storyline drag out like way too long. But if they have enough like twists and turns, it could work at the end of the day. Well, up next, we had Wardlow winning the TNT title from Powerhouse Hobbs. I had a feeling this was going to happen and I wasn't happy about it. Um I just, I feel like Hobbs didn't get his just due. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what, he had the belt for maybe a month and a half? Yeah, I, pretty I know much. he defended it quite a bit, but most of those defenses were, like, on Rampage. Um, he never felt like the focus of any show. Um, so, hopefully, you know, this is just kind of a bump in the road for Hobbs, but... I don't know. This match was an example of just how overbooked this show really was. Like they, it just had too many moving parts. Um, I liked all the physicality we got from Hobbs and Wardlow. Um, and the crowd did seem invested for the most part in, you know, Wardlow. Um, you know, I think it helped the fact that they mentioned that, you know, he has like Pittsburgh roots, um, you know, he's, I guess he's like started his career in Pittsburgh and everything like that. So, um, but yeah, no, but like once we got into like the QT Marshall and Harley and Arn of, you know, everything, it was just like, okay, I'm just not a fan of Marshall with Hobbs. Like, I don't mind the whole QTV, you know, segments, but just feels like, you know, QT is kind of holding Hobbs back at this point. Like he can stand on his own as a monster and, you know, he showed it in the ring, you know, when he got a chance. Like, he doesn't need outside interference to win a fucking match. So, but then, like, we had fucking Pentagon show up, which, like, I was like, why is Pentagon here? And then I remembered, oh, that's right, Hobbs and QT kind of had, like, this mini feud going on with the Lucha Brothers, um, you know, which Hobbs, you know, did pick up, you know, a big win against Pentagon and, you know, Phoenix, but, like, that just feels like such an afterthought that I literally had to like jog my memory. <laughs> exactly why what's going on here. And then Wardlow finally picks up the win, but we don't even get a moment for him to really like bask in it and celebrate because fucking Luchasaurus and Christian are like, you know, staring him down at, you know, at the top of the ramp. I'm like, okay, you know, and that, that upset me. Cause I was like, well, what about fucking hops? Cause I was assuming that, this wasn't the end of this feud. Um, but that definitely feels like the case unless we get like some like giant, like throughway monster match, which I'm not opposed to. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't know. Luchasaurus really has to do a lot 
to, you know, sell me on this heel turn. Like, I like the new look and everything. But once again, like, you know, a new scary mask isn't enough for me at the end of the day. Like, I need to see it in the ring. I need to see the physicality. I need to see a, more of a killer instinct from Luchasaurus. Yeah, wouldn't it have been great, like, you know, Wardlow celebrating with the title and then Luchasaurus just slides in, does a huge choke slam in the center of the ring? Like, yeah, it just it just murders him in the middle of the ring, yeah. honestly. Like, give me something. Um, yeah, the spooky shit, like, I don't know, man. Like, I know it's just a giant guy with a mask on, so, and his name is fucking Luchasaurus for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> like, rebrand him at this point. Give him a new name, uh, you know? Like, it's okay if he has, like, a heel persona that he goes by. Like, I'm cool with that. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I love Christian and everything like that. Um, but he's gonna have to really work a small miracle to make me a believer. And you already know he's gonna go swing low against you know Wardlow's father, just like he did with uh, Jungle Boy. Oh god! Uh, for the promos, most likely. What did Stone? What did Stone Cold call him back in the, the creepy little bastard? Is what Stone Cold used to always call him. <laughs> but I totally agree. We need to see more from Luchasaurus if he's gonna be the like Kane-like threat. So I sort of mentioned is. this earlier, but we had this kind of backstage segment with Sammy Guevara and MJF where MJF kind of offered Sammy, you know, a blank check to pretty much lay down for him in the main event at Double or Nothing as long as he secures the tournament wins for Sammy. So I guess the situation is MJF is going to help Sammy win the tournament, you know, and pay him a lot of money as long as he lays down for him, as long as he lays down for him in the main event of Double or Nothing. Yes. Okay. I was like, what? <laughs> Like, I don't know, man. Like, did this just feels beneath MGF at this point? I don't know, man. Like, I'm over like MGF trying to bribe people, um, especially when it's on fucking camera. Yeah. You know, like how obs- was Renee there holding yes. the microphone to each one of like, them? Which why was would even- Tony let this even happen? Like, if he <sighs> has him on fucking camera telling him exactly how he's going to fucking cheat and throw this match, this main event pay-per-view match for the world title. Like, why would they move forward with this? Like, it makes no sense whatsoever. So I, I don't know. Like this did nothing for me. Now, obviously, you know, like we see later on the night, like this is all going to get thrown out. I'm like, there's no way they're doing a one-on-one match you know, for the main events, like it's going to be a four pillars match. Um, I'm guessing, you know, something happens, you know, next week. But once again, it makes me question, like, what's taking you so fucking long? Like, they just literally told you what they're about to try to do on camera in front of your entire TV audience. <laughs> like, Why wouldn't you put a stop to it like right away? Uh, instead of letting it play out during your main event like but at least like with wwe they wouldn't have the interviewer like standing there it would be like a case of the invisible camera where like you know for some reason the heels don't realize they're being filmed you know that that kind of situation (laughs) which i fucking hate don't get me wrong Uh but at least there's a little more logic you know behind it yeah, it was just absolutely ridiculous watching Renee have like live reactions to yes. this plan going on and everything. Yeah, she should um, be like, I'm going to go tell Tony. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he should be watching the fucking show. <laughs> and they got goofier with uh, Guevara being like, we're not, you know, friends don't shake hands, they hug. Like, it just got 
so goofy by the uh, end. I don't, I don't know. This did nothing for me. Yeah. After this, we had Jay White's defeating Commander. The match was fine. Um, I, I wasn't a big fan of this being Jay White's first like debut match in AEW as part of the roster. Um, just feels like such a styles clash. And I'll be honest, like I'm not a huge fan of Commander so far. Uh, I feel like he's just relying way too much on the the rope walking and it just makes no sense why. And it just makes his opponents look so stupid that they would stand there and let him do it over and over again. <laughs> like there was a spot where like he was literally just bouncing from the middle yes. rope to the top rope to the middle rope to the top rope over and over again. And White just had to stand there and look like shocked and amazed. It was like, and you know what the announcers? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, and then the announcers are like, "Oh my god, he's hypnotizing Jay White!" And I'm like, "No, no, no, no. he just looks like an idiot." <laughs> like, um, maybe he's hypnotized by the absurdity of it all. I, <laughs> yeah, but they just—it's just like, like especially for like a ring like general, a ring psychologist like Jay White mm. to have to fucking sell half this shit. Like, just I don't know, man. Like. This isn't the way that you want to showcase Jay White's skills in the ring. Like, and don't get me wrong. Like, I don't mean to be so harsh on Commander because I do feel like he's super talented, but I feel like he needs to kind of, like, practice some, like, restraint, like, when it comes to the whole rope walking thing. Because, like, I've seen it, like, a handful of times now, and I'm just kind of over it at this point. Like, use it wisely. Use it here and there. Don't Mm -hmm. use it over and over. It can't be all of your offense, you know? And I know, like... I guess, like, in Mexico, he was in a lot of tags. Like, he didn't wrestle single matches that much. And so he's used to working the style where, like, you know, this, like, big spot style, if you will, where, you know, yeah, he's... there's, like, a buffer between yes, his spots, too. exactly. Yeah. So, like, I think it's just, you know, a matter of time before he kind of, like, you know, figures out how to be a singles wrestler. Um, and he's got all the skills in the world, but, like... Do you want him figuring out in front of like this, like, you know, top tier free agent signing, you know? Um, And then like Sean Spears is in the crowd, which I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is totally distracted from the match and taken away from Jay White's debut. Um, Like, I like Sean Spears, but like, okay, so why is he out there? And like, I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe he's joining like Bullet Club Gold or something. But no, he's out there with no motives you know, really whatsoever than other than just being a jerk and trying to get underneath Jay White's skin. And, you know, it's more of just something, you know, for him to do right now, you know, since it seems like he's back on the roster, I'm guessing at least part-time or full-time, like he took a lot of time off, I guess his mom passed away and then like Mm. he had a child. So, um, you know, more power to him. But, like, this just felt really, like, shoehorned at the end of the match. Um, and then we had Ricky Starks come out to make the save after Juice. And Jay finally got enough of of Spears at the end. Like, he gave him a five. So I guess that just enraged Juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, maybe it's five stars. Um, but then, yeah, then Ricky comes out to, like, a, a real, like, I don't know, half-ass pop from the crowd. Like, I don't know, like a real, like, mundane reaction. Um, like once he hit his spear, like they kind of woke up, but mm. I, it, it kind of feels like Starks is going through the motions right now too. Um, but it doesn't help the fact that he's not being featured on screen a lot. I mean, last time we saw him was when he got jumped by White and um, uh, Juice. 
Um, and before that, I feel like he was really limited on his like mic time and everything like that. And in all fairness, like he didn't really like knock it out of the park either. So um, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, it just it, it feels like ever since the Jericho feud, he's kind of like going through the motions right now. Um, so he needs to find that spark again because I feel like there is a lot of potential for you know Starks versus you know Jay White. Um, but I almost would rather see them like team together, like have Starks be part of you know the Bullet Club. Um, oh, he's okay. got he's got you know the right attitude and everything like that. But I mean, he did just turn babyface recently, so I'm sure they're mm. not going to want to go back and forth with them but i don't know he just needs something right now instead of just being this like you know mid-card baby face especially after like the initial push he was getting at the beginning of the year like they've definitely like cooled him off i now. mean really i think we just need the two of them like promo sh- bleh, promo swapping because i feel like jay white should be on the mic more since he's been you know added to AEW. like i thought this was going to be like commander gets in a few spots but it's overall a squash match for jay white and then he you know just does goes on a tirade over uh what's going on with him with uh no i agree because besides the video package we got last week and he's only been with the company, mm-hmm. you know officially with the company for two weeks now but besides that video package we haven't heard anything from white um especially live in front of a crowd so it's like it it would be nice to get some like back and forth banter between Starks and White to really like heat this, you know, feud up. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's a great heel for Ricky Starks to bounce off of. It's a weird situation. Like I, I I'd almost prefer that this wasn't Jay White's first feud. Because neither well, of them yeah. can really afford to lose it, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think at the end of the day, like most likely White's going over, I would hope. Um, but what does that do for Ricky? Um I will, I do want to mention too, like I just loved fucking Juice Robinson screaming Ricky at the end of uh-huh. Ricky. <laughs> I, just, I <laughs> fucking love that. I don't know why. Like I rewound it a couple times. So like I want more of that Juice Robinson. This kind of uh-huh. whining, sniveling heel. Like give me that. Like Juice Robinson instead of hard body bullshit. Like. And I'm all I'm all in. We head backstage again. This time FTR is being told about Mark Briscoe's condition after being attacked earlier by the varsity athletes. In a funny fashion, after Renee told them that uh, Mark Briscoe was injured, they just kind of ran around a corn ran around the corner and found him pretty quickly uh, hanging out with Jay Lethal and uh, Sanjay Dutt and them. Did Briscoe just get jumped? Like, why did it take them this long to find out that Briscoe was jumped. Like, did this happen earlier on in the day? I, th- that's what they made it seem like. Cause they had video footage. So I mean, and no <laughs> one bothered to tell FTR. Like, I guess did FTR just show up. Maybe like I was, I was just confused on what was going on. And then like, like they t- decide they agree to team up with Jarrett and lethal. And then like, it went nowhere. Like what happened next? Like, did they find them? And like who who jumped them again? Who jumped Briscoe? Uh, the varsity athletes. Oh, uh, Sterling and uh, Woods yeah. and whatever. Okay, whatever. I, I keep forgetting that they changed their names because I keep thinking it's the varsity uh, blondes. But... Yeah, yeah, that is a little confusing. Um, uh-huh. Okay, all right. So I guess our first feud for FTR is champs is going to be against Lethal and Jarrett. Is that what most likely? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> okay. Well. It is what with it is. Mark Briscoe in between, you know, not knowing who to side with. I'm, 
I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the direction they're going with the storyline. <laughs> that would be absurd. Um, I'm just hoping that this is like a TV feud. And this isn't the double or nothing match for the pay-per-view. David, we have to have Jay Lethal on the pay-per-view. I mean, oh. they got to build up to something. No, we don't. He could be on the yes, fucking, he could be on the pre-show. That's fine. This is Tony's quote. Oh, here. God. <laughs> Lethal or bust. Semi-main event. Yeah, lethal or bust. <laughs> He's. It's been better lately, though. I will say, like, mm. Lethal's not featured as much on the show. You know, it's not like, oh, we're guaranteed a lethal match every week. I feel like we've gone, like, a couple weeks at this point without Jay, so, you know. Well, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> at least it wasn't a match. And I, 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 this sounds horrible. Like, it sounds like we're just hating on Jay Lethal. He's a fine wrestler, but it was weird yes. that, like, he was the only you know featured wrestler to consistently get a match on dynamite for like months at a time it was weird especially when you have so many other you know talented you know superstars Mm -hmm. on your roster (laughs) who are just you know wasted away in the back which is why i'm not like totally opposed to like another a show for AEW. like i hate the reason behind it if you know that is true that you know they're only doing it to separate the roster and the people who don't get along. That's absolutely absurd to me. But like if it's more about just getting, you know, you know, this giant roster, some needed screen time to see more storylines play out, then I'm all for it. I just don't know when the fuck I'm going to watch the show since it's on Saturdays, you know, and it's supposed to be two hours long. <laughs> But I'm never going to complain about more wrestling at the end of the day. I will. I, I, that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to skip Rampage. You already do that. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm the schmuck who watches Rampage and sometimes Dark and Elevation. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I was contemplating getting the fucking Ring of Honor uh, streaming service. So, you know, that's definitely not happening now if they do this whole collision thing. Uh, that, that's like seven to eight hours of wrestling. I don't know how dude. Tony's going to find like the hours of the day to book all of this content. It's just not possible. He's going to have to get help. Um, next, we had Chris Jericho and Adam Cole come face to face. Yeah, uh, they got in the ring. Cole expressed his um, respect for Jericho and how like, you know, Jericho's career inspired his own, even down to his, you know, catchphrase. Um Yo, Jericho turned around and said, well, that's great, but I absolutely have no respect whatsoever for you, <laughs> which I, I did pop for. Cole called Jericho a jag off, um, which I guess is a, a term used a lot in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, so it got the, the crowd chanting. Um, and he also called him a, a fickle, insecure, stupid idiot, um, which also got a stupid idiot chant from the crowd. <laughs> And then Jericho said a line that I actually enjoyed the whole, like, never meet your idols um, thing. Um, And, you know, Jericho shoved Cole and, you know, we had Garcia run out, jump Cole from behind. Uh, There was a beatdown ensuing. Britt Baker came out to make the save, which, okay. Like, I was like, well, this is going to end horribly. And, of course, it Mm. did, uh, you know, because from underneath the ring, it looked like like where where the hell do they come from christian they just slide up off camera like it's so obviously this was all premeditated uh but yes the outcasts just came out of nowhere jumped brit 
Um, no one came out and made the save. Cole gets handcuffed to the bottom rope, is forced to watch Soraya uh, take a kendo stick to uh, Britt um, and meekly beat her down. I like the idea of this segment more than the execution. I didn't mind the back and forth between Cole and Jericho. I thought that was actually rather quite good. Um, but I don't know, like the beatdown of Soraya and Cole, like being handcuffed to the bottom rope and like pleading and begging, um, for them to stop just felt really forced and unwarranted. Um, and Brit's cell job wasn't great. And like Soraya, she just, she really needs to learn to lay it in, um, like you could even tell Jericho was like kind of like trying to coach her up and like, no, hit her more. What are you doing? <laughs> Cause she kind of like hit her once and just stood there. And like Jericho's like, no, again. And she does it again, you know, a little harder the second time. But then she just stands there and he's like, more <laughs> like waking her up. Like, what the fuck? Even like during their the tag match, there was a belt shot that Soraya did. And luckily, mm-hmm. like the camera angle was like behind her. Because it was weak as shit. Um, so, like, I don't, I don't think it was that noticeable. Um, but, like, she, it looked like she basically, like, tapped. Tapped Yeah, it, yeah. tapped um, Brit in the head with the belt. Um, so, I don't know, man. Someone needs to talk to her about, like, hey, you're not going to hurt anyone out here. Don't be afraid. You know, they're not porcelain dolls. You know, this isn't WWE. Um, because, yeah, this, this just didn't work at the end of the day for me. I mean, this is a company where there are people trying to stab each other in the eye with screwdrivers. So someone like yes. taking a couple kendo, you know, stick shots in the back. I don't know. <laughs> it, it just it just didn't warrant this reaction, um, you know, especially from Cole. Like, I mean, your girlfriend, for God's sakes, was in an all time classic lights out match against Thunder Rosa where she was fucking, you know, bleeding from, you know, head to toe. Like, so <laughs> I don't know. It's like, do you not watch? She pulled out the thumbtacks herself. Yeah, it's like, did you, you know? Do you not watch her <laughs> matches at all? So I'm like, she'll obviously be okay, you know, uh-huh. after a couple cane shots. So, um, you know, maybe if they bloodied her up, or I don't know. It just, it just needed something more for me to believe this angle, and I just don't like the idea of Cole and Britt being an on-screen couple. Mm-hmm. Like neither of them, I feel like you know, need each other career-wise. So. You know, it, it feels like for a mixed tag match between like, you know, Jericho and Soraya against uh, Cole and Britt, which I don't know. I'm hoping that's a TV deal and not a pay-per-view feature. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like they were planting this, the seeds for a mixed tag match with uh, Jericho and Soraya, you know, facing off against Britt and Cole. Um, I'm hoping that it's a TV you know, match like a dynamite main event and not a, you know, featured pay-per-view match just because I feel like it's going to make both of these storylines painfully drag on where I feel like that's already the case right now with the outcasts, you know, first the originals, uh, you know, angle. So I don't know. And we know Jericho has a pension for long feuds. So (laughs) God forbid, you know, that's the case, you know, like have this be, you know, once again, like on, you know, dynamite in the next couple weeks. And I think, you know, that's fine. You know, I'm okay with it then. Like, but yeah, like the pay-per-view needs to be like Cole and Jericho and it needs to be like a one-off match. 
And then the outcast storyline, you know, we need some new players and we need to get to like blood and guts or, or wherever the hell we're headed. You know, um, I could see them. I could see them doing like a Soraya versus uh, Jamie Hader match at uh, Wembley. Like, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, they're both, you know, from, you know, yeah, you know, from there. So why not battle the Brits? Sure. <laughs> Um, you think because uh, the outcasts are helping out JAS, they'll loan them like uh, Anna J and Ty for the you know probably most likely five v five match in Blood and Guts. But they, they just do don't that. fit story wise, you know. Like you can make Ty fit because she actually came from NXT, but Anna mm-hmm. J doesn't fit at all. So I don't know. I'd be against that. Like they need to pull in someone like Athena, if anything. So, um, but we barely see Ty and Anna, you know, with JAS at this point. So I know Anna was injured for a bit, um, you know, after her, uh, street fight match. Uh, But yeah, now I I hope they don't go that route. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the hater, uh, injury was storyline driven, um, you know, and that was probably the remark. And that'll probably be the reason given why, like, she didn't come out and save Brit, you know, during this melee, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. You know, because I was like, okay, the way they rushed her off and everything like that, I was like, okay, they're working some kind of angle, but, you know, for what? And, you know, once this happened, I was like, okay, there you go. There it is. Where was Rebel? <laughs> Where was she when, when she needed her most? Actually, we haven't seen Rebel with them in a while. Like, I think, you know, because she she's legitimately like one of their makeup people. So, you know, probably doing a real job. Unless we get a quick video package from the Hardys alongside Isaiah Cassie and Hook uh, calling out and, and letting the firm know, you know, when their match may be. Yeah, this is going to be a Hardy compound match. So it's going to be a cinematic match. Um, I don't know. I've. I think this will end up being fun, you know, especially like Stokely reacting to all the, you know, Hardy mm-hmm. insanity. Um, you know, I guess that this was all part of uh, the contract that um, Hardy tricked Ethan Page to sign. So mm. that's where we're headed here. Uh, Jeff also said that he was going to address the AEW fans on Rampage this week, you know, most likely talking about his struggles with addiction. Um, so. There's that also. So, but yeah, I don't know if we've ever, we, we've never gotten a Hardy's, uh, a Hardy compound cinematic match in AEW, right? No, not in AEW. Okay. So I'm willing to give it a shot. As long as it just brings it in to all this contract bullshit. Yes. And we can move on. Oh my God. Hardy has been involved in contract drama for fucking two years now. Yes. Stealing other people's contracts and then getting his contracts stolen. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, who told Tony Khan and Hardy that, like, a contract storyline would be, like, super compelling? Because, it, guess what? It's not. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, like, the longest-running storyline in AEW. Like, we got a short break from it when, uh, you know, the Hardy Boys reunited, but that was it. That was only for a couple months, but I don't know. Up next, we had a quick match between the Acclaimed and Matt Menard, Angelo Parker, and Jake Hager of JAS. Well, speaking of storylines that need to end... Um, yeah, this little feud did nothing for me. It was all about, you know, the JS trying to recruit the acclaim, but 
it felt more of just an excuse to have the claim on TV and give them something to do, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, the claim are still extremely over with the crowd. Um, I did pop uh, last week when the acclaim tried to cut off Matt Menard's nipples um, with a pair Whoa. of scissors. <laughs> why not? <laughs> but I'm hoping this is it for the feud. Um, I don't know where the acclaim goes from here. Um, I mean, I could see them in the trios division, you know, teaming up with, you know, Billy that that could work, um, you know, or just, you know, find another tag team for them to feud. Because not every feud needs to revolve around the belts. I mean, you know, case in point, like this feud, you know, just make it a little more entertaining, though. Like, <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind seeing the acclaim go up against, like, House of Black. Like, you could have a feud there. Um, you know, I, I'm all, Mark. I mean, it'll definitely lead to some great raps by, you know, Caster. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think they could handle uh, <laughs> that kind of uh, beat down oh, yeah. verbally. <laughs> but you could do tag <laughs> matches and you could do trios, you know, you know, with mm-hmm. you know, both teams. So, you know, that could work. Well, lastly, we had the main event, which was Sammy Guevara defeating Jungle Boy Jack Perry by count out. When's the last time we saw an AEW main event end in a count out? First of all, uh, I, I can't even think of a time that they have done it in the main event. Or just in general, honestly, it's probably only happened mm-hmm. a handful of times uh, overall in AEW. But um, this was everything you would expect, you know, from a Sammy Guevara versus Jungle Boy match. Um, mm-hmm. Just high energy, a lot of like breathtaking spots. I did feel bad because it just seemed like it took the audience a long time to get into this match. And like they were killing each other <laughs> the first like couple minutes. So I was like, Jesus Christ, wake up because they were getting like little to no reaction. Mm-hmm. Which I think was partially due to just how disjointed this, you know, episode of Dynamite really was. Um, you know, but like fucking the Canadian destroyer that uh Jack hit on Sammy from the top rope was just mm-hmm. fucking amazing. Holy shit. <laughs> you know I always love a good Canadian destroyer. <laughs> I just don't remember seeing one like quite that fluid before. Like Sammy, night after night, you can say what you want to say about his character, um, but like he just puts his body on the line and really just mm-hmm. you know sacrifices everything in the middle of the ring. So I mean, you got to give the guy respect where you know it's due. But Jungle Boy's no slouch either. Like he held his own out there. Um, you know, he took a fucking fantastic Spanish fly. Um, you know, there was a lot of great physicality throughout the match, you know, even, you know, even in between like the bigger spots and everything like that, they were really like laying it in, um, which I appreciate. I always appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, that spike DDT that, um, Jungle Boy took was just, uh, just gross. <laughs> I was like, you're fucking, you're going to pay for that later on, man. Like, <laughs> let's slow down. But they were really like leaving it all in the ring. And I'm guessing part of the reason why was because they knew that, you know, the ending was going to be a little controversial with the count out and be kind of a letdown. But the match ended with Guevara drop kicking Perry off the ropes and fucking he took Mark. But the match ended basically with. You know, Sammy drop kicking Jack off the ropes with Jack mm-hmm. going head first into a fucking table and just taking a nasty looking bump. But then like as like Jack is crawling to beat the count, 
uh, MJF shows up, you know, knocks Jack out with the dynamite diamond ring uh, as uh, Sammy distracts the referee. Um, and then once MJF, you know, rolled out of view, um, Sammy allowed the ref to finish the count. The one thing that did stick in my crawl was the fact that the ref didn't restart the count. Because usually yeah. if a wrestler, you know, stops the count, they restart it. And that's what happened here. So I thought that was a little, a little weird. Afterwards, MJF and, you know, Sammy celebrated in the ring, really just hamming it up, um, trying to play up this new union. Um, but you could tell right away that this is going to last more than a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're both probably plotting to stab each other in the back. So it is what it is. Um I don't know. I've already ranted enough about this this angle, so I'm not going to waste any more time on it. Alan was also in the rafters, you know, looking disappointed, yes. whatever. Uh, <laughs> hopefully next week they could do something to kind of salvage all this, because right now I feel like I'm like the least invested in this whole like four pillars storyline than I ever have been. So, yeah, I mean, great matches doesn't always make up for lackluster story. It's like, even though like, man, not just even when they showed the replay of Jack like, slamming his head down. Cause I thought at first, you know, maybe he got his shoulder down a little bit beforehand, but him just smacking that yes. table uh, with his face was, insane. it was fucking nasty. Uh, it really was. But then just to have all that shit happen afterwards just soured that just whole moment. Like, it was just... Top to bottom, this whole show. Way mm -hmm. too much fucking gaga. Way too much bullshit happening. Um, just, like I said, from the, you know, at the beginning, just overbooked. There's no reason for all this. And I understand, like, you've got mm -hmm. so much time in between, like, you know, pay-per-views to fill, but I don't know, man. Like, I was really digging this whole angle before we got to this point and for them to kind of, you know, shit the bed um, and like in a way remind us that, you know, the other pillars, they're not ready yet for this main event spotlight <laughs> um, just feels so counterproductive and just, I don't know, disappointing as a whole. And as we've said, like the like past few months, it just seems like if they would add some you know events in between. We could solve a lot of this pacing problems that we're having and we wouldn't be like this every single like the month before the pay-per-view. It seems like we have this same conversation yes. where it's just like the storylines are all over the fucking place. We don't know where they're going. We don't. It's just not as interesting, interesting. Or There's always like a three week period where the storylines all kind of just tread water. Um, mm -hmm. And we're all just kind of stuck being frustrated with like you know, the lack of progress. And it feels like they really just lose a lot of momentum. Now, a lot of times they're able to book their way out of it and they're able to kind of reheat everything. But yeah, you know, a couple events in between, you know, these pay-per-views or, you know, mm -hmm. additional pay-per-views even could alleviate a lot of, you know, these issues. Because I'm sure when Tony like put this storyline of the four pillars on paper like the end goal was to elevate them not like <laughs> showcase that you know they're and not to like highlight that you know four years in they're still not ready you know for the main event mm -hmm. scene it just seems like incredibly counterproductive 
booking. So like I said, like in the, in the beginning of the recap, like I, I feel like they need like a segment supervisor. And I know they have coaches and everything like that, but they need someone who just goes over the story of the segment with the wrestlers and kind of like mm-hmm. just supervise, you know, all right, what are you going to say? Like, how are you going to say it? Like, maybe not do A, B, and C. Like, you know, give them some kind of guidance. Um, you know, let it still be in their words, you know, and I don't want them to have full scripts, but maybe some do need a script here and there. So I, I don't think it mm. hurts to have at least one writer on staff who's just, you know, there to kind of, you know, offer guidance that, you know, some of the wrestlers might need. A fed line here and there is not going to piss off anyone, you know? Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts hoodies stickers and more and if you post what you bought and tag us on social media we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the united states all right make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling my name's christian and my name's david and that was the amazing nerd show You won't get another chance of this, Admiral. We have no choice, General Calrissian. Our cruisers can't repel firepower of that magnitude.